Welcome to the Always On Podcast. I'm your host, Duncan McPherson. And on this podcast, our objective is to enable our audience, which are very high caliber working fee-for-service professionals, to ensure they are always working on their business and on themselves, personally and professionally. On today's podcast, I had a very solid conversation with the president of Queenston. Uh, his name is Martin Luke Derome. Specializes in mergers and acquisitions as well as valuations in the financial services space. Martin Luc Jerome is a remarkable opportunist and a natural leader with exceptional strategic business acumen. With him on board, Queenston will witness the realization of its mission like never before. Whether you are at the beginning or the end of your career journey, we will contribute to your success. That's drawn directly from the Queenston website, as you're about to hear. Martin Lutherome is a very thoughtful, insightful thought leader in the area of acquisitions. He's been around the block. He's got a fully built out process, and I think you're really going to enjoy his insight. Thanks for tuning in. Make it a great day. So very excited about this uh, conversation with Martin Luc de Rome, who runs Queenston, a fellow Canadian, although the philosophy and process is almost entirely applied to a Canadian audience. It does transcend borders. Martin lives in Montreal, which is very near and dear to me. I was born in Montreal and grew up right around that area. I love going back. Some of my fondest memories are at Formula One at the uh, Circuit Gilles Villeneuve. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I, I, let's catch up on Montreal, Martin, but let's talk a little business. As you can see by uh, the logo behind his head, he talks and delivers on mergers and acquisitions in the financial services space, as well as valuations, a very uh, integral part of the equation. Today, we're going to talk about the do's and don'ts of enterprise value, a lens through which the buyer looks, but also the seller, so both buying and selling a business. But uh, Martin, welcome. I couldn't be couldn't be more happy to see you today and uh, to have this conversation. Thank you. Well, thank you, Duncan, for inviting me. I'm, I'm very pleased to. You know, I was on your website just again, getting myself reacquainted and uh, I love, first of all, the historical reminder you provide of the connection between Canada and the United States. I had my breakthrough in the U.S. in the late 90s, and today, 90% of our clients are in the United States. But I really like how you pay tribute to our connection, the War of 1812, and uh, I have such a massive affection for America. And I I think our relationship is going to uh, blossom. I think there's going to be a tremendous renaissance. But uh, I really enjoyed that. So thank you for that. Well, I just wanted to uh, let people know where is Queenston coming from? Name? Why that name? So figure out what some readable like that. 
Well, and I've spent a lot of time in that part of the world. Uh, I've got friends with vineyards in Niagara. Anyway, I'll let everybody else go and do their own research on that geographical part of the world. But we are here again to talk about the concept of buying and selling a business. So you have a very significant uh, window into that world in Canada. But again, I'll just say that this transcends borders. So if you're listening in from the U.S. or beyond, this is going to force you to expand your thinking around what you need to do to prepare yourself to sell your business for maximum value or to acquire a business and just get everything in sync. So what I'd like this conversation to revolve around are, first of all, some of the fundamentals around buying or selling. I'd like to talk about specifics in terms of like a checklist, uh, process, protocol, and provide as many actionable items as possible. And and Martin, as, as you and I have discussed in the past, the primary reason I'd like to talk about this is because we've both seen the cautionary tales of what not to do and the exemplary models of how to get it right. So let's start there. Let's talk about why it is that so many people kind of kick the can down the road and put things off around getting themselves organized for their liquidity event. And let's talk about also people that have just crushed it, that have done such an impeccable job. Uh, And of course, by following your guidance and your process. So let's let's ease in with that. Sure. I mean, if you want to sell your practice, first thing is you have to make sure you know your practice. You can't, you know, you some advisor, they pretend to know ex- very well their practice, but they don't. First thing is you have to be on top of things. Know your numbers. You know, you know your financials. Um, improve every like there's on the website there's so many articles that uh founder jerry butler wrote in the past that you could use just to improve and get prepared such as scan your documents uh segmentate your clientele make sure you have a crm that is well used not just to say you have one so when we ask the question and we do a fact sheet a snapshot of your your business profile well, the more information we have, the, the better you can look and shine and expect buyers to really be interested in your practice. And it reflects on the selling price. It does. It, it's like a direct connection. Okay, so great start. And, you know, I, I just want to uh, highlight something that really resonates with me. So behind you, you're framed by the letter Q, which I know is tied into the logo of Queenston. On our book, we highlight the Q because we want our community to focus on the quantitative, but also the qualitative, which definitely applies to your world. One of the things I remember you saying to me is, as as simple as this sounds, the importance of not negotiating your own contract and and trying to DIY this entirely, both in terms of quantitative, not ensuring 
the things fall through the cracks there, but also the qualitative, the emotional connection. And and I'm sure that, you know, to your point about um, kicking the can down the road is that there's a certain familiarity where you think you know your business, but you need an outside set of eyes to come in and say, no, let's let's really get granular here and actually help you detach yourself from the emotional elements so you get this right. Totally agree with you. And I always say to sellers, you know, stay away from the buyers until you have finalized everything. Leave the emotion on the side, be rational. Let us do a job. You don't see a, a Wayne Gretzky or name it who you want, Connor Bedar, negotiate his contract. You know, you're good at what you do. We're good at what we do. And that's why you should focus on your business and let us focus on maximize the value of your business. And we know how to explain it and cover some of the weakness spot. That's our job. That's what we do best. Okay, well, <laughs> we're both Canadian. And uh, I was just about to use a hockey reference, but you beat yeah. me to it. So that's funny. But uh, I remember, I mean, we've all heard stories of professional hockey players, athletes, celebrities, various high-level people who, you know, for example, have had maybe a family member try to negotiate a contract or a friend. And it's just not a good idea for, for so, like you said, the blind spots, but also just that emotional connection but also just being around the block having been there i mean there's some things you can't learn in a simulator you need mileage every experience serves you in in some ways so that's a fundamental for sure um is there anything else you want to touch on from the standpoint of selling the business like getting into the protocol the sequence the checklist uh could, do you mind elaborating a little bit on that well, I have developed with the time, you know, with the years, a nice process that you can see the process chart on, on the website. Once we have gathered all the information and we do the fact sheet, we target because we have, we had probably five, 10 web meetings and conversation with you. So we know you pretty good. And we have a pretty good opinion or of who is a good fit because doing a transaction is very easy. Doing the right transaction, that's another game. Mm vision you need a fit you need a business model to be aligned and then you get into all small parameters like the licensing your IROC but someone is an FDA well you can't sell to this guy unless he will scale his, his own license and the banking there's so many factors to consider that once we we reach the fact sheet we send it out to the market and then we filter and we, what we do the first step is we ask the buyers to write a letter of interest addressed to us, Quinston, because we keep everything confidential. Mm -hmm. You don't know who's the seller. And then we turn around, we take those letter of interest, we sit down with the buyer, the seller, and we'll go over them. And like I had a big book in Toronto, we had six buyers. After they said, okay, let's meet them all for a Zoom. After the first Zoom, they declined four of them. Right away, right away, just like that. Boom, 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 boom. These four are out. Well, why? Well, they haven't mentioned to me that they wanted someone from GTA. And I had buyers from BC. I had buyers from Alberta, from Quebec. Mm. And, and it was there. 
I didn't ask because today with the COVID, I mean, distance is not a factor anymore. I sold businesses from Toronto and the buyer was from BC and vice versa. So then we move forward and we have a second Zoom, sometimes three Zoom meetings, and then an in-person And then from six to two, they sign one letter. And then we move on. Every time we meet, we negotiate the terms and conditions. Then we move slowly to a letter of intent. Once this is done and signed, then we go into due diligence. And the due diligence we do, we assist the seller, we assist the buyer, and then we get in. We might want to make sure the finance is confirmed. And when we get close to that, then we start doing all the legal documents to hand up to the closing session where the lawyers will just get the paper signed, register the guarantees, they loan, and then pay the seller. So that's, you know, in, in a few words, the process that there's a way to do it is I've seen I've done a transaction in March where the seller, after the first in-person meeting, said to the buyer, oh, you can have my bank account. Let's transfer that. Let's move forward. I went, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't, first of all, you can't go to the bank and transfer a bank account just like that. But the seller was such in a rush to do it that I had that, that was a, a challenge for me to say, cool down, calm down. Step by step, we'll get there. You know. So, as I say, stay away from emotions and let the pros do the job, like you do the job. Well, like you and like probably most people listening, I mean, I've I've dabbled in real estate transactions over the years, and I remember vividly trying to sell. A property myself it was a disaster and i i compare and contrast that to selling real estate using a broker and just having them bring it to me pre-primed and pre-vetted to the point where it, it just my ability to make decisions was so much better and then of course even you know renovations I've had a home renovated by somebody who I really liked, who I had confidence in, but I realized that they were kind of winging it. And and then I I compare and contrast that to somebody who renovated following an incredible process and and how they even interacted with the trades coming and going throughout the house because we lived in the house as it was being renovated. I mean, but still, I mean, having that thought leadership and that expertise and the process, like I I'm going to assume that there are mile markers through your process. You know, there's 17 steps or 34 steps in the process. The mile markers show the seller where they are. So there's no mystery. No, I know we communicate on a regular basis and, we have the process elaborate, and this is done, this is done. And every time we move forward, we just check the box, and this is done. The next one yeah. is, okay, you know, and secure them because uh, it's the f- most of the time, it's the first and last transaction. Mm-hmm. And it's it built that business for a lifetime. So they're very emotional. If you look in my email signature, I'm the CEO of the company. I'm not the CEO. I'm just a chief emotional officer and i'm not a tax specialist i'm not a cpa i'm not a lawyer i'm just 
a chief emotional officer. How many times I would say to the buyer, whoa, whoa, cool down. Let me handle that. And, or, or the seller, I don't want this. This is insane. Hey, 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 it's only a document. We'll address it. Leave it to me. Turn around. Get the emotion cool down. You know, so. And people laugh when they see my email signature, but I was in a meeting doing a transaction and everyone introduced themselves. And one of the guys said, I'm the CFO. And his partner says, no, 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 no. You're not the CFO. He said, you're the chief. How did he say that? The budget was always zero. And that's how I got the chief emotional officer. <laughs> and I find it just a joke, but people like that. Because that's probably the that. chief frugality officer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So, so I, I didn't actually, in my notes, make a reference to the matchmaking component. So I, you know, because I just thought about your expertise and and the process, but I, I forgot about the the relationship dynamic and your own reputational equity in the industry. So how how big a factor does that play in the value you bring to a, a buyer or seller is the relationships. Well, thanks for bringing that. I mean, this is the most important. This is the really? most important. Oh, yeah. I mean, doing a, a transaction to me is three-stage process. The first one is just talking with the seller and the buyer. And then the second one is doing the due diligence, the financing, the legal work. And the last one is transition. That's the most important one. And if we didn't do a good job at the first stage, it's, it's a total mess. And to undo a transaction is much more work to do a transaction. Mm -hmm. And the, the fit of personality and I'm even thinking of buying one of those software apps that does the profile. It's like, how do you yeah. say in English? You know? Yeah, yeah. personality sure, profiles. Yeah, personality profiles, just to make sure we have the, because I go with this, but I can't go wrong sometimes, you know? <laughs> so I just want to make sure we have the perfect buyer for the seller. And oh, it's so important, Duncan. You have no idea how much. I mean, this is, this is the transaction. You can have all the dollars you want, but if you don't like the buyer, don't like the seller, they're going to work together for at least a year. Imagine they're going to, yeah. the, the seller has to sell the buyer. It will be my succession, my successor, you know? And if you can't, you don't like it. You don't like that person. How can you sell it? Yeah. Interesting you say that because when we talk about trust, you know, there's so many drivers that go into that. For me, the chemistry and the compatibility is a big part of trust, especially if there is longevity in the relationship as opposed to, you know, just an immediate transaction, a one-off. So just park this, I'll plant a seed with you, but we have uh, one of our coaches is a an authority in that space uh, in what is called DISC, the DISC profiling those four quadrants of personality types. Yeah. So, um, you know, we can talk about that offline, but I that, that just occurred to me. So, okay. So we all know there, there's caveat emptor, buyer beware. There's caveat venditor, seller beware. You, your process takes into consideration both. And beware, it's like not be afraid or be negative, but... Just be prepared. Like, just mm -hmm. make sure the due diligence is covered. Let's talk about the buyer. 
for a moment. What are some of the considerations? Some of them are obvious, but maybe the things that perhaps we haven't thought of from a buying perspective that you'd like to highlight in your well, process. I find that too many buyers want to buy just to see that they have more assets. I'm managing 200 million and I'd like to buy another one, 100 or 50. Just, but what, what is your, your plan? What is your, you know, where are you going with all that? Where do you see yourself in three years and five years? What is the perfect target? And I always say to the buyer, okay, if we could order that seller or that transaction in a book, like a magazine, what would you like to have? And then they laugh and they say, what do you mean? Well, you want this personality, this vision, the size. Some buyers don't want the instruments. They only want investment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to know exactly what you're looking for. What are the parameters you're ready to go for? Um, where? Even though COVID is not a, I mean, brought us that the distance is not a factor anymore. You still have to meet the client once in a while, you know. So there's many. Uh, we sit down together and we talk just to make sure that I would say ninety percent don't have a business plan. Thank you. They just say, "I gotta buy. I gotta buy to grow. I I can't go grow organic organically now." Okay, but what do you want to buy? You know, what are the reasons? Well, you know, that's interesting because we we often talk about the entrepreneurial fallacy that says grow or perish. And growth for the sake of growth can have many unintended consequences. It's interesting. Like, uh, so I'm assuming that you've got a real strategic planning and diagnostic element from a buyer's perspective to really get specific on why, why, and what's important to you. Like, it's interesting. Last week, Martin, I, I spoke with an advisor who who wants to become franchise ready, wants to go out and buy businesses. And I said to him, I said, okay, the first thing we have to do is make you obsolete. It can't be the Barry show. Like, we have to depersonalize your business so it can run like a Swiss watch whether or not you're there. And in fact, before you acquire a business. I want you to be in a position where you could take 52 long weekends a year. And within 12 to 18 months, you could even take a six month sabbatical and the business would hum along. You don't need to be present to be productive. And unless and until you can do that, you're not ready to buy a business and take on that responsibility. What an amazing conversation we had because it was counterintuitive. He was thinking I was going to go all in with him on being franchise ready, but I asked him to, you know, avoid the storms by actually imagining what it looked like for him, not, for his business not to be at the mercy of his talent and his presence. So philosophically, does that line up with you? And yeah, definitely. Yeah, you are. You either team with someone that will manage the business you want to buy. And then the trust going to be there. And I mean, it's more than trust. Or you do exactly what you, you just mentioned. I mean, it's going to be a business, not a solopreneur, as I call it, not a job. Right. I mean, uh, you have to make sure that the business relies on solid base and it can operate on its own. And also, 
you've probably done the same. We have to look at the financial. What can you afford? How are you going to pay that? You're not going to put at risk what you have built. And sometimes, uh, if it's a too big transaction, it could be a big chunk. If you're not ready financially, it could be a risk. A customized podcast can add credibility and efficiency to your communication efforts. Sifting good prospects from the mass of suspects, staying top of mind with strategic partners, and activating more advocacy from existing clients can be achieved with a turnkey approach. Learn more at proudmouth.com. Do you aspire to consistently attract and keep great clients while driving the enterprise value of your business? Do you want to achieve professional contrast by supplementing your technical ability with a consistent client experience driven by best practices? The Blue Square Toolkit brings the proven Pareto Systems philosophy and process to life in a way that tethers your team so that you can competitor-proof your clients, gain their full empowerment, and attract quality referrals, all while restoring liberation and order in your life, and all in an intuitive, easy-to-use turnkey solution. Visit bluesquaretoolkit.com to get your 14-day free trial today. Remind me to talk at later on about the financing considerations, but I'll park that for a second because I want to get into the financials and also the structures, the scenarios. So do you, do you participate in like a sell and stay? So if, if an advisor just wants to sort of de-risk and simplify their life, to align themselves, but they want to stick around for three to five years. Do you participate in that of as course. part of your approach? Yeah. We sell and stay is the most popular way of doing a transaction. Okay. Uh, I have seen one transaction where the buyer said, no, no, no. What you wanted to buy, I'm buying, you transit all the clients in six months, then you're out of the picture. You drop your license. And, and how long? Six months? Six months. And the seller looked at the buyer and said, really? And he turned him down. No, he said, I want to stay for two or three years. And I do recommend the buyers to keep the seller as long as you can. You minimize the risk. Yeah, you, know, okay. you, just, you just put it on writing what you expect after transition is done. And that seller will bring in a new client because he's got no more administration, no more compliance, no more technology. All he has yeah. to do is have fun. Meet people and bring in new assets, new clients, new interests. Yeah. Okay. And any transaction is a great ambassador. Sometimes they're a great ambassador for them. Wow. I'll never forget to your point about minimizing risk and smoothening out the transition, how a seller in the sell and stay dynamic primed his clients and talked about his own continuity and succession plan and his ability to be indispensable to their clients continuity and succession plan. But he actually said, like, I, I'm not going anywhere. I love what I do. I just think this is yeah. a more efficient, elevated approach for my clients. And then he said to them, I myself 
and becoming a client of this enterprise. He said it was palpable, either on the phone or in person, the the sense of relief and anticipation that created with his clients. Now, I want to ask you this. Uh, do you participate in... So the advisors who want to grow down and go from 250 clients down to 50, do you participate in a remnant, like a portion of a business being acquired? Is that part of your repertoire? Yeah, yeah. Okay. we do that too. I would say within a month, we'll have on our website, Queensland's Market, where you could do that. Advisor, they have like, I don't know, 300 clients. They want to segmentate 100 and sell it. So you'll be able to import Excel spreadsheet on the website and with basic information, nothing confidential, and sell them. Because it could, a junior that comes in, you know, as a junior, it's hard to grow your business. You have the do not call list. You can't do email, email blast. It's hard to grow business today. So they need those resources that they can count on. Okay, let's get into the weeds a little bit. Um... So, so we talked about the importance of people, practice, and process. So the team, yeah. the best practices, and the proprietary process. We'll we'll elaborate on that in a moment. But let's let's get granular on some of the uh, essentials again around the financials. So the business is not just attractive and valuable based on AUM and EBITDA. What are some of the other considerations that need to be applied in terms of their own financials, like the hair removal, making sure it's immaculate, and other things? You want to run with that? Well, you know, as a buyer, sometimes you don't, you're buying not just for the AUM, but for the team. Or because you can't find the resources, you've checked their website, you know, they have a fantastic, you know, team in there. So you, that's a big plus. Another thing is their volume with your volume, you might go up in the grid and that's where you will, you know, kicks in a little bit of profit. You know. So you, you merge the volume either in insurance or in investment and you go up in the grid and it's very profitable for the buyer. So that's another, sometimes the buyer will just buy it for that reason. Other time is for a, a niche market that you have that I can't penetrate. I can't go in that niche market and I, I want to cover that. So they're going to buy that competitor because they know that that market is controlled by them. And I have calls that people will call me and say, okay, I want to buy Duncan Financial Service. You won't sell to me. Represent me. Can you do that? So we approach this, this firm and say, we have a serious buyer. Right now I'm doing one, which I call them Emerge. Someone from Toronto, someone from Quebec. And it ends up in a real merge because they wouldn't approach each other. But when I did it and then control the emotions, they realized that it was the end result would be amazing. So we're in the process of signing the letter of intent on that. And doing a merge is a lot of work. It's nothing compared to just doing acquisition. I want to come back to the real estate analogy for a second. So I know somebody who recently sold a home and in a casual conversation, I mentioned to him, I said, 
you should do the home inspection in advance. Like you should do it. You should pay for it. Pay the fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars because you put so much emphasis on the cosmetic curb appeal. House looks great, beautiful. But what's going on behind the scenes? And you know, he pushed back and he didn't do it. And the house sold and everything is fine. But I, I, you know, is there merit to getting behind the scenes and just making sure there's no hair and skeletons? Like everything is absolutely flawless before you go to market in, in this context? Yeah. Well, the question that we sent to the seller is kind of a due diligence. We ask a lot of information, although we don't have time to validate each of but as a buyer, once you have that letter of intent signed, then you go into a real due diligence, legal due diligence, financial due diligence, operation, compliance, technology. You got to check all these because definitely if you compare this to a house, you know, you buy a house, once your offer is accepted and signed, you have that inspector come at home and do the due diligence. You know, the, the inspection will come. Same thing in buying a business. And today I was talking with a buyer. It's a $10 million deal. And he said, I rely on you to do the, you know, the due diligence. And no, 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 my friend. I'll get you all the information you'll get. Everything will be in the data room. Or I expect you or your team to look at the document and say to me that you approve the documentation. You're satisfied with the due diligence. You can't rely on it. Yeah, but I don't have time. So don't buy. If you, if you don't want to do it, don't buy. Mm -hmm. You know, because it, it's very important. And then most of the time, also, I should say that the buyers, when they, the sellers, when they do the due diligence, that's where they learn what's their business. Mm. They always say to me, God, I thought I knew my business. I didn't. It's unbelievable. Now I know my business. I can't believe I built that. Because we ask them specific documents, specific numbers, data, you know, stats. They didn't know. Well, that's the abstract nature of a knowledge-for-profit business. It's not like a traditional bricks-and-mortar business where you can see everything. I mean, no. you get so immersed. Your life's work, 25, 30 years. I mean, it's like it's like when I drive from home to the office. I mean, half the time, I don't even know how I got to the office. It was muscle memory. Mm -hmm. I, I It wasn't like I was really paying attention to every turn and stop. And uh, so that familiarity... Sometimes we can take things for granted. Uh, so yeah, it's a great exercise and probably rejuvenational. Now, now I want to ask you this from a seller and a buyer perspective. How many of your sellers place the legacy components toward the top, like around my team and my clients being in good hands when I ease out? Is that... Do you see that as a commonality uh, of being a huge priority? Yeah. I would say uh, the, the Pareto rule 2080 kicks in, where I would say 80% of my transaction, this is the most important, one of the most important factors. They want to make sure the legacy will stay, business model won't be you know, demolished in, in six months yeah. or a year or two. What have you built? Nothing. And I invite, sometimes when it's a large, transaction, I will invite the seller to do a due diligence on the buyer just to make sure you know who you're selling to 
And they do it in a simple way, but they do it. And I wanted to have, we talked about the due diligence. You have to be careful as a buyer not to exaggerate. I have one client that his due diligence process is so heavy. He's scaring all the sellers. It's like mm. ridiculous, totally ridiculous. It's like you would buy Canada Life and his due diligence wouldn't be less or even more. It's insane. And the buyers will just say, I got to do all that. And what can I say? Yeah, I sell you pick this guy, you know. Tell him I'm not selling. Not because I don't want to do it. I'm telling you, it's totally exaggerated. So you have to be careful not to just do it for the fun of doing a perfect or heavy or complete due diligence. There's components that you need to know, but not mm -hmm. to the small details. You know. So you can be that voice of reason because of the process on both sides. If you're yeah. the the intermediary between the broker and the seller, you can be the voice of reason to help shape yeah. that for both sides. Yes. In my process, I I want the, both sides to use my data room, my process, because if I don't control the emotion, it won't go through. If I let the buyer talk to the seller, nine. Point nine times out of 10, the deal would drop. There's one deal that had that happened. The buyer, they were at about 750 million. They do acquisition all the time. That deal dropped four times. Then he called me and says, I get it. Take it from now on. It took me 27 months to close it because they were too close. They were good friends. And then the emotion kicks in. And mm -hmm. they were mad at each other, so no, 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 stay on your side, let's do a business transaction, actually, and we'll deliver the documents you want, that's what you want, the price, the terms, the condition, everything is there, okay, let's sign. Uh, what percentage of your buyers, after the dust settles, come back to you and say, I want to do it again? Oh, I would say easily 50 to 60%. They buy two, the three, some of them bought four or five. Yeah, they like the process. The return on investment is good, uh, especially when we do a sell and stay. They like that. Mm -hmm. Great security for them. So they come back. They want to buy another one, buy another one. And are you pretty adamant with the sellers, sorry, with the buyers to honor? the seller's uh, priority that the clients and the team be in good hands? And do, do you have an approach that ensures that and governs well, that? Yeah, it's, I would say most of the time it's addressed in the contract, legal. Mm -hmm. And we have a service agreement for after for the seller. And then sometimes it would mention in the asset purchase agreement, or the share purchase agreement, um, that the team must stay on like this one of Pretty large one, four point five million transaction in Toronto, and it's specified in there that the team must stay on board for two years, and that's a request from the buyer. So the seller has to stay there to make sure that his team will be on board. And then we had a long discussion on this. How can I, how can I sign this? I don't even know. Well, it, it's part of your job, selling, but your team is so important in the client relationship that they must stay 
there for at least two years. So all of that is so indicative of the mindset because I'll be at a conference and an advisor will come up to me and say, you know, I I like what you talked about and I, I think I'm ready to fire some clients. And I'm like, fire clients. I would much rather you say to me, I think I'm doing everybody a disservice by having so many clients. And even though I've got some clients who've been with me for since day one, it's just not a good fit. So how can I respectfully right size and disassociate from relationships and make sure they have a really soft landing? And literally to the point I'm doing them a disservice by keeping them, I'm actually elevating them by putting them in a different environment, like that different mindset. It probably that transcends into these transactions where you can see and reveal how somebody is wired about the importance of relationships, because this is one thing I'm really spending a lot of time talking about is you manage money, you manage a business and you manage people Mm -hmm. and you have to apply the same level of importance to all three. And I think that's the mindset of the advisor of the future. Uh, the the advisor that's going to see themselves through any disruptions and volatility and commoditization. So I'm gratified to hear that that's part of the way you're wired too. And oh, yeah. you emphasize that compatibility. Three times I told buyers, clean up your clientele. You're not taking care of your clients and you want to have on clients. Uh, How are you going to do yeah. that? How are you going to do that? You know, you should sell 50% of your clientele. And then I'm guaranteeing you in three years from now, you'll have more asset under management than you have now. And you want to buy some more clients? No, not with me. Because well, it's like, the, that's like putting sand into a shopping cart. Yeah. Right? Because you're going to go buy this business, but you're going to lose them out. You're going to lose a bunch out the back door. And then you ask me, how many times a buyer will come back to you to do another transaction? I should answer, how many times a seller will refer me someone? So if that buyer, doesn't treat his clients the way the seller was doing it. Well, he's going to blame me because I found a buyer. You know, so I got to. Okay, make so sure wait that- a second. Wait a second. So, are you saying if I'm a financial advisor and I buy your business, can I then use you as an advocate as for the next time I'm about to buy a business where I can tell a prospective seller, "Hey, you should speak to Martin." I, I acquired his business first. Is, are you condoning that approach? Sure. Definitely. Wow. And That's sellers good. will also recommend me to a friend, a colleague. Hey, call Martin. He's done an amazing job for me. So because six months, 12 months after, you see how the buyer's handling the clientele. If the mm. service level is maintained. And if that's the case, they're happy. They're legacy. They're proud. And they talk to their friends. And we did argue before, we did discuss, where I said, I don't think that's the buyer you need. He's offering you more. I agree. But look at everything you're leaving on the table with the buyer B instead of A. So I have to bring the seller to realize that it's not only money. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. everything, all the parameters. I think you and I talked about this before, that, you know, our framework... Whenever there's a team uh, dynamic, even in the acquisition, 
buying and selling is that it's PSP. It's got to be a philosophical fit, meaning we see the world the same way. It's got to be a strategic fit, which means this is in the best interest of the clients. And then a practical fit, meaning the economics. You're at peace with the cost. I'm at peace with the worth. It just makes sense. But in that order, I think is a very good way to approach it. If you don't do that, it won't last. It won't last. And if it does, the return on investment, I'd be curious to see it. It's probably lower than you expected. And it's not a transaction. You no, know, it's this guy that in front of that bought a small book, $300,000. And he called me back and said, okay, let's do another one. It's already paid for. What do you mean? He visited every client with the seller. He took seven months to see all the clients and the amount of business he's done with each of them is amazing. It's unbelievable. And he's, yeah. he said, I made more money with that than I expected. You know, but this guy well, was- that, that, That's a byproduct of really getting it right is what they acquire, let's just say a three or $5 million business and six to 12 months later, it's now a six or eight or $10 million business because yeah. of all the dormant seeds and veins of gold that existed. So yeah, that's a neat uh, observation as well. And it comes back to what you said. If you have done your own homework in your own shop, then you can leverage what you have built in the business you're buying because there's strength on both sides. But if you're not ready, you don't do your homework and you, your business is not, well managed and properly and ready and all that. Buying another one, it's like if you compare this to building a house, it's like put, you know, building a 14th floor on a foundation that is only for a house. <laughs> Same thing. Hey, on that point, how do you feel about doing a webinar where we sort of do a lab or like a a, a mock walkthrough, kind of like to your point, blueprint, foundation build, like actually yeah. walk through and, and get into the nuances of the progression. How do you feel about doing that? That would be amazing. That would be interesting. Definitely. I'm in. Okay, let's do that. Well, listen, I know you're a busy guy. I really appreciate we're just scratching the surface here. But um, I, I think, I mean, I, I already knew this, but I think for people listening in, they know that there's a lot here and you've probably seen it all. Let's talk a little bit about a call to action. I, I, I'm going to suggest that everybody at a minimum uh, follow Martin on LinkedIn. Uh, and then from there, visit the website. Now, you talked about a process chart. Yeah, on the uh, website. Talk about that for a second on your website. Well, if you go on the services and you go into the seller or merger, you'll see the process. It's all detail, how I work, how we work at Quinston. Everything is there. You see the detail. And it's, if there is any questions, just call me. Be more than happy. So that's like a schematic of the yeah. how the relationship would progress. Yeah. It's a flowchart. Flow perfect. Yeah, flowchart. Perfect. And then uh, from there, if somebody reads that or goes over that and says, okay, this the next step is what? Have a conversation with you or somebody on your team? Well, if you go on the website and then you... There's a, uh, the filters. You can see what's for sale. Like we have over 200 oh, right. listings. And you can, you know, do the, the research and say in Ontario, uh, let's 
say you want IROC business and anything that's interest of you, you can see a little bit of information. And if we have a serious buyer, then we, we show on there the fact sheet, the snapshot. But some of them, they're not ready for that or they don't have it. We work with them to assist. That's where we're going. Okay, excellent. So, so website, Queenston? Dot net. Dot net. Gotcha. Perfect. All right. Well, listen, I, I, I really appreciate your time and your insight. And I do want to follow up on getting that webinar done where we actually just pull back the curtain and walk through the progression. That process chart might be a good uh, template to follow. Yeah. Uh, so I'll look forward to that. So we'll connect with you. But uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time. Any closing comments? Well, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. And uh, I hope it uh, some of what we discussed can help buyers or sellers. I'm sure it will. Excellent. Okay, Martin, you take it easy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Always On with Duncan McPherson, where our objective is to enable professionals to always be working on their business and on themselves. Want to learn more about Duncan and his team? Visit ParetoSystems.com. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Pareto Systems. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast is powered by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. If you're like me and want to spend more time educating people and less time selling, Proudmouth helps turn Main Street experts like you into trusted mainstream authorities. They will help amplify your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans. Visit proudmouth.com to learn more.